welcome to There Are Other Ways, conversations about living life a little differently. This is a podcast for people keen to explore less well-trodden paths in life. I'm Fiona Barrows, a business mentor who helps creators make their online businesses work. again and welcome to the second episode of season three. Um, Before we get started I just want to say thank you so much for all your support and enthusiastic messages last week in response to the first episode. It really did mean a lot and I'm just so pleased that people are still listening. On to this week's episode and it is with Sarita Challenger from Moments of Sense and Style which in Sarita's own words provides wares and words to inspire a life full of strength, courage and hope. I will leave it up to Sarita to, to tell her and her husband Rob's story, as it's one that I think deserves to be told in full, but I will say that our conversation is one that will stay with me for a really long time to come, and I'm so grateful to Sarita for sharing so openly and honestly and courageously. I'm just in awe of Sarita's strength and ability to find light in the midst of darkness. This was the first episode I recorded um, of this new season. And it did take me a little while to get back into the groove. Um, I actually forget the word for washing up bowl in the first minute or so. Um, I think because I was a bit nervous. Um, So just apologies for that. And please do bear with me as I find my way back into these interviews. Anyway, here we go. Hi, Sarita. Hi, Fiona. (laughs) Um, How are you on this uh, very hot day? I won't lie. I'm a little bit sweaty and... uh, I'm sat in my pants recording this with you. <laughs> well, I've got my feet in a in my uh, kitchen in my sink um, in a, my like uh, sink thing filled with cold water. So oh. it's a it's a casual yeah. setup on both ends. Yeah, it's the only way to be in this. I think I checked my phone earlier and it said like forty one degrees. So oh my gosh, it's pretty hot. Yes, um, it's definitely not the sort of day to be sort of surrounded by blankets and pillows as we both are for recording but we'll yeah hence the pants situation (laughs) (laughs) there might be there might be sort of 10 minutes in both of us just throw them off and and they'll just be echoes but we'll see we'll see how long we can last let's go yes um and um yeah so you are the closest person geographically that I have ever recorded an episode with as you were just down the road from me as we've just discovered I know it's so lovely to know that you are very nearby and hopefully we can get to meet in person once these strange times have, exactly. have passed. Yeah, that'd be really nice. Um, right, okay, so if we start, if you just want to say sort of a little bit about who you are and what you do, um, just for anyone who hasn't sort of come across you before. Okay, so I'm Sarita and I'm the founder of Moments of Sense and Style, or Moss for short, because uh, Rolling Stone gathers no moss and our life before was always rolling and hectic and on the move, but life made us stop. It's a lifestyle store and studio. Um, we based and rooted within our story of courage and hope. That's a beautiful um, way of describing it. Um, so if we sort of start with that story, because I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is sort of rooted in it um, and go back to sort of when you were living in Hong Kong and you met your husband Rob yeah so we were just friends at first we met through my mutual friend um, from university Um, I had been living in Shanghai and uh, moved over for work in Hong Kong where were you brought up I grew up in southeast London okay Um, went to university after art school in London went to university in Manchester and I yo-yoed between London and Manchester um, 
post graduating for for jobs working for both in, i worked in fashion um for both supplier and brands um and then around the recession in 2008 just decided to follow where the work was and that was to go over to asia and that's when i ended up in shanghai oh amazing and how long were you in hong kong for uh i was in hong kong for a, a couple of years maybe like two and a half maybe three years um it always feels a bit blurry now but yeah, rob was there longer he was already living there and established there when i when i moved across and we yeah we became friends through our we met through our, our mutual friend becky um and just started hanging out really just going on runs um had mutual likes and dislikes um and kept each other company because we lived five minutes away from each other so oh, we would nice. naturally always end up be be the last two in the group walking towards home and having conversations and things um and, and that evolved from that friendship really yeah and you said um that sort of your that that was the life that was sort of a rolling stone that was going very very fast is that sort of what your life was like there oh gosh yeah like asia is on like a different yeah level i mean you just you mentioned before that you've traveled there but living there and working there is a very different um very different experience to living and working um in europe I worked six days a week. Um, office hours would be long until like seven, eight at night. Sometimes wow. we'd be expected to stay till the early hours to get stuff done. Um, I would have to take clients out for dinner. So my work very much was integrated into my life. And the same for Rob. And we would travel for meetings. We would have to go for client meetings, whether it be I would come back over here to Europe or um, would go to the US or even do because do uh, trend trips. I would do um the stores and look at analyze the trends that are happening around the rest of asia so um back to shanghai and going to seoul and um tokyo and planes were like taxis and i'm not proud of saying that now um i once was proud of, of that um that was my badge of honor you know like my identity was my work mm. and i won't lie i had a had a bloody great time um <laughs> but it's just it's not sustainable it's not it's not a long-term situation um because it was it was high stress, but we worked hard and we played hard. Mm. Is it was that the sort of life that you imagined yourself having when you were at uni? Yeah, I I really wanted to have travel as part of my of my job. Um, I grew up in like quite a working class um, family in southeast London, um, but my mum and dad worked hard to push us up and to give us experiences that they never had, and from a really young age, um, I had itchy feet. So as soon mm. as I could. I wanted to explore and the fact that I could tie that into my work was just the dream for me to be able to earn a living and see the world as well and I managed to make that happen. Amazing and then um, you were on a trip to Australia visiting Rob's sister is that right? No it was um, oh. Rob no 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 it was to visit family. Um, oh, okay. Yeah no we uh, really look forward to this holiday because it was the um, you, you get really limited holiday days in Asia well I did anyway because mm. I, I was on a local contract so I didn't have like the the expat um, glorious loads of holiday days I just had um, basic ones so I'd actually saved up a lot of holiday to take like, I think it was like a, worked out being two weeks which sounds which sounds like nothing now but that, then that was a really long, yeah. long time out of work um, 
and we were going to explore a little bit but go to the middle of nowhere into the blue mountains be on our own and kind of regroup and really figure out what we wanted to do and what the next steps were because we we're both starting to become a little bit jaded wanted to know what the next where would where would we go next because we were realizing we were both becoming quite serious about each other um, and wanted to think about the future but then also didn't feel like we could do that in Hong Kong and felt like we needed to have a break and I had family in Australia Rob had family there and it was us basically introducing each other to um, it was Rob's uncle, aunt and uncle um, and to my cousins so and long-term friends as well who happened to be there so it was it was a, a trip of, of kind of restoration really and and mm. and wholesomeness that we that we really really desperately needed but um yeah it didn't quite go to plan so uh, tell me what happened well we landed on the i can still remember it really clearly like we were both texting each other for, like leaving work on the thursday night and had an overnight flight and landed on a friday morning and we had a brilliant first day and we explored the city on bike so it's still quite jet lagged um and then had some sundowner drinks um with my cousin and some friends and then had a really lovely beautiful conversation uh, about the future and what we meant to each other and went to bed really early night not many drinks at all but woke up the on the saturday morning and rob was stumbling around the hotel room and I got confused because I was just like, where are we? What's going on? But hang on a minute. Why is he stumbling? Because we didn't have that many drinks last night. And he's not mm. that kind of guy anyway. He's very measured with his, with everything. So uh, open the blinds and it's like the sun just obliterated everything in its path. Um, he screamed in pain and I realized that something was seriously wrong. Um, it turns out that I can go into detail. I can go into detail here, but um, he collapsed, um, and I had to keep him going. He he suffered severe seizure, and it turns out that he had a, a brain hemorrhage and and stroke, um, and it was pretty catastrophic. Uh, and not really what I was expecting at eight o'clock in the morning. Still, again in my pants. There's a theme here. <laughs> I, yeah um still still like not dressed when the ambulance arrived because I was just managed to stay calm but and focus on just what I needed to do which was just help Rob um uh, and it was when they arrived that I kind of wobbled really um but there, there were so many positives because the day after we we're still in Sydney at this point and the day the next day we were planning on going to the middle of nowhere I kid you not with no reception no phone line nothing we were literally going out into the wilderness and things could be very different yeah. so we were seven minutes away from royal prince alfred hospital and when we got there um they told me he was dying um it was the most oh it was the most devastating and traumatic experience ever and i wouldn't wish it on anyone um but what is amazing is that i'm here and i have a story to tell so it, you know it is there is a positive to it but it has been um it's it was life-changing stuff for sure and i don't say that lightly you hear that term banded about quite a lot um but it most definitely was yeah i agree i think it's um yeah it's a term that's used for, to describe all kind of things but i think you sharing that i can't think of many things that are more life-changing than that moment mm. so what what were the sort of first few hours days weeks like after after that moment oh my goodness um it was like my whole world had 
imploded like not just the rug from beneath my feet had been pulled out it's like a sinkhole had just sucked me down um they told me that rob was dying and that they've never seen anybody survive anything that big but they will operate um because he's young um mm. and um and I had to wait 12 hours whilst he was in surgery. Oh my gosh. And at this point I'm, I'm just, and I'm like, Oh, okay. And I'm signing all this paperwork and signing his life away. And they're like, well, you better phone his mom. And I'm, I again, just sat there like, right, right. Okay. Right. Um, and just, just the logistics of it. You're far away from home. You're on a holiday. You don't have any of those things to tether yourself to that you mm. would normally in times of crisis, like going home and, or being around family or friends or being around, surrounded by anything comforting at all. Um, I had to call my, my friends, Sharon and Richie, who are dear university friends who happen to be living an hour away. Um, but I phoned them to travel over, had to phone Rob's aunt and uncle to come up from Canberra, who would, we were planning on meeting them a few days time, but ended up meeting them by Rob's bedside in intensive care. It was just a very, very, a very odd process. Um, everyone was going on about their daily life around us and having coffees and it was a Saturday and it was a glorious sunshine and I was just sat there trying to digest like what I had just witnessed and what I'd just dealt with. I, you know, I'd had to clear Rob's throat. I had to keep him from, from dying. And then we told that actually that there's something else that they really need to operate on and that potentially they can't. It was a, tw it was the most horrific 12 hours. I've never, been, I couldn't drink. I couldn't eat. Um, it was almost like I was trembling and I was cold, even though it was like 40 degree sunshine. It was um, a very insane day, but he made it. He pulled through after 12 hours. And um, what's wonderful is that majority of the nurses happened to be Brits. So they, mm -hmm. they got it. They, they were incredible and very supportive because they all were, they could have been them. They were far away from home. They didn't have anybody. So they became like my, <laughs> my immediate family um by default and kind of gave me some cuddles and saw me held my hand and when taking me to him in the intensive care bed and they just said that the 70 the next 72 hours are critical so it went from it went from minute by minute that's how my world got reset that day um watching all of the lines on the um that were hooked to his brain and his heart and all the monitors and everything else um but he was in a coma for three weeks and that was that was a very long wait um wow. and in that time obviously i'd i'd had to phone rob's family and they didn't believe me like there was <laughs> i had to phone my family and uh, rob's sister and his mum flew out and my okay. sister and um, my dad flew out um just to kind of offer some kind of comfort or support but obviously it took them two days to get there yeah so, and I just did not leave Rob's side. I refused to leave him because I was just willing him to hold on. And I just wanted him to know that he was loved and had a reason to stay. I did not want his mum to come all that way for no reason. Um, and I knew that if it was me, I would want someone to stay there with me. So I, that's all I did. And I talked to him and I read him bits from the paper. I stroked his hand and stroked his hair and just really radiated love so that he he knew that he had a reason to wake up and 
and he obviously did he did he did because he and he he woke up after three weeks did you say yeah yeah and what and what was that like oh my god I was a roller coaster of emotions because I was like what we none of us knew what the impact would be on him would he remember us would he be able Mm. to communicate with us um we'd been prepared for the worst um um, when he came round, the nurse said oh your mum's here and his mum was the first person he saw and he kind of weakly smiled and obviously recognized his mum and then she said oh Sarita's here and he was desperately trying to turn his head and trying to engage eyes locked eyes of me and gave me like the biggest smile he could muster and honestly the adrenaline flooded through me because I was just like he knows who I am he remembers and he remembers what our connection is um and that just sealed my fate because I mentioned that we had a lovely conversation the night before but we we talked about the future of like our life together committing to each other like marriage kids like what were we doing um what was our relationship going to be so my fate was was sealed there and then for sure um it's so when you sort of lay out the timeline of that conversation with regards to everything that happened afterwards it's um yeah it's it's incredible timing oh it's it feels like this has been played out for us in some weird way um i'm not religious per se as in i don't tie myself to any particular one um but this whole experience and the coincidences and the the just the beauty and the positivity and 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 the just everything Mm. just feels like perhaps someone was guiding us or these things were happening for us in some way there's there's some sort of hand at play here there's some some sort of guiding um guiding hand yeah for sure um and then obviously you were in Australia with both of your homes in the UK I mean I presume that the decision was made to come back to the UK rather than Hong Kong to be yeah so the decision was made to come back to the UK by by us like Rob and I tried to have a conversation and I I spoke at length with Rob's family like I don't think I can go back to Hong Kong and I don't want to go back to Hong Kong Um, I think we should be back in the UK but ideally I wanted to go to London because obviously I could potentially still work be nearer our friends our network um, and the best care that there is for um, for stroke and brain rehabilitation in the UK at UCLH in London Um, but sadly we didn't have a London postcode we didn't have an address to go to we didn't have the connections because obviously our life was already in Hong Kong Mm. And a decision was made that within Rob's family, they just wanted him home. So we were going, we went back to Lincoln. Um, I had no connection there. I, Rob hadn't looked back since he was 18. So that was, that was very hard to come to terms with when you feel like you're, you're losing autonomy of your own life when mm. you're already within, um, within, a catastrophic situation and then the wheels come off <laughs> and, and as you said you know you had tied your identity to your work in Hong Kong and freedom was something and travel was something that you were really um 
that was really important to you as well yeah I mean that reality in the of it didn't really hit me until um until we got back to the UK and it was December and Rob had gone straight into Lincoln County Hospital and I ended up staying with Rob's parents who I'd only met twice um, in like a spare attic room in deepest darkest Lincolnshire without knowing a soul mm. um, it was quite a sobering experience I, it, I ended up just walking to the cathedral and walking to the hospital and that was my routine um, mm. just coming to terms with everything that had happened really I guess it's it's that sort of twofold thing of both sort of it's just such a massive wrench into what what your life was and what you had planned it to be a, a sort of a wrenching off course into something completely different that must it must have taken a long time to come to terms with yeah and I think I was uh, I threw myself into getting Rob everything the best thing that he the best thing that I could do and setting him up um and ended up going back to work for my for my boss in Hong Kong because she missed me I missed the work and we recognized that a lot of the clients were within Europe and in the UK anyway so I ended up doing the flip side of the role that I was doing in Hong Kong so I would um, work with the team and the design team that I, I was leading over there um, on email but then facilitate the clients in the UK um, face to face and being with them um, and I was in London like maybe Monday to Wednesday and then we'd be home on the Thursday Friday and at the beginning Rob didn't really have any cognitive awareness of time um, because I forgot to say actually when he came around from his coma he um, lost all power of communication he was unable to speak read or write and he was completely paralyzed down the right hand side so um our world was was very very different not just from an emotional point of view mm. but from a, a physical and cognitive point of view as well so when rob was still in lincoln county hospital and he was unaware of me coming and going the working for my boss in hong kong and going for crazy like three-day meetings in hong kong i kid you not commuting conference <laughs> is, is not good for anyone let alone the situation that I was in but I was full of trauma and needed something to yeah. keep me going um, and the adrenaline fueled that um, and I needed to earn you know I needed to mm -hmm. figure out what was going to be next I couldn't I couldn't do it from um, being static and it's almost like you need to take action for more thoughts and more action to happen so I continued working um, but then within that time whilst I was still working commuting between London Lincoln Hong Kong and wherever else my boss said to go um, I Rob was starting to get better and I would put all of my energy into him from Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday and I would take him out and we'd do rehab and speech and um, I recognized that if I was going to be all in I needed to to mm. commit and so I decided to quit my job and stay full time um, with Rob and his family. And I had faith that I would figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm just curious when you and Rob had those conversations about 
because you, you sort of said that you recognised that the life that you were leading when you were in Hong Kong was unsustainable at the pace that, it, that you were living. What was the sort of, what was it that you sort of thought you might want to do or where to go? Um, the next steps were probably going to live in Australia, hence the visit. Ah. Um, <laughs> um, Australia or New Zealand, we weren't ready to go home, mm. um, but we were very much ready for a different pace of life because I think... Hong Kong um, is very different now, um, obviously, with all of the political movement that's happening over there. But um, Hong Kong had a scene that we weren't part of. Um, of there's, there is um, an expat scene there that we weren't, we would dip in and out of, but we weren't part of that. We didn't have a great network of friends um, there. That we, there was nothing really tying us to it. Um, and there wasn't much meaning in it. Um, mm -hmm. So we just were thinking what was important to us. We'd, we'd managed to find each other completely unexpectedly because we were just friends and um, didn't, neither, well, neither of us had seen each other in that light at all, I don't think. Um, I mean, Bob used to come go on dates and then come back to mine for a cup of tea on the way home <laughs> for a debrief. That's how, <laughs> that's how much of like, buddies we were like we would have really frank conversations um about like everything so yeah it really took us by surprise that we'd 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 ended up falling for each other really um and those conversations came about from not only from like a social socializing point of view which was quite heavily involved around um around drinking when we would would just love going hiking and biking and mm. like being very outdoorsy um and we were like, well, we found each other and we want that kind of life. And working was just insane. Rob was working for um, a big agency and ended up working between like Europe and the US and doing crazy Skype calls at strange times at night um, from home, as well as working long hours in the office. And it just it just wasn't um, mm. didn't wasn't starting to feel nice. Um, the, the fun and the joy had been taken out of, of the day to day and he was very stressed and I think that also has a lot to play with what happened to him and international air travel as well. Just mm. the stresses and strains on his body. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I just asked because I, I was just sort of wondering whether there was sort of any way if, if, if what happened to Rob hadn't happened that you would have sort of ended up where you are now. But it obviously seems that there was a sort of another, I just wonder what, you know, there was another sort of um, idea um, in Australia or New Zealand. Um, no, I think we were just looking for more of a lifestyle choice rather than um, a career choice and how that was going to evolve. We had no idea. We hadn't really mm. come to any conclusions about it. We were just literally at the very embryonic stages of, of that shift into being with each other and what our future would look like. So we had no idea, really. Um, we just knew that we wanted something different. And, and how did Moss come moments of sense and style how did that sort of come into being well it's actually an idea that i'd sketched out in hong kong um rob and i used to have these really geeky brainstorming ideas and i used to help him with some of his concepts and he was helping me with some of mine and um, that was very much part of our relationship as well we loved to to just come up with stuff um and it, we came up with it as um a lifestyle store and we thought yeah i'll put it in the sketchbook and um thought nothing of it and when 
fast forward to being in Lincoln and I'd quit my job at this point and where it must be around uh, end of 2015, beginning of 2016. And I was probably at my lowest point, mm. um, having quit my job and gone all into being a full-time carer, the reality and the weight of everything that I had experienced just hit me. And I guess grief, I guess it kind of mm. took over me like a tide of treacle. Um, but I recognized that I had just been by continuing to work, I'd just been putting it off. Um, and by going through that grief process, I was recognizing too, that when applying for jobs, that this was what was adding to it. I was getting so frustrated that I seemed to intimidate um, people with my CV or my life experiences. Even when I was applying for um, like minimum wage style jobs, I was probably too can do for them. I just, I just wasn't cutting a break anywhere. Even the jobs that uh, were career, um, matched my career that were potentially away from Lincoln that could, uh, you know, been a catalyst for us moving and starting to think about the future. As soon as I got to like the final stage and um, I would be very open about my personal situation, um, I suddenly wasn't such a suitable candidate. So I was beyond frustrated. So, um, yeah, so frustrating yeah and it just felt like every door i was trying was completely locked to me mm. i had nowhere else to turn um and around this time all of our stuff that had been shipped from hong kong so within the time that rob this it's quite an epic story i'm jumping around a bit here no, so when okay. rob had finally left hospital in sydney and went into a rehab in sydney and he was settled there with his sister everyone else had gone home at that point it was just the three of us um i took the bold view of having to go back to hong kong to deal with the practicalities of our mm. life i had to go back to hong kong i did it in four days um wow. and shipped back all the contents of our flat address tbc i mean that's how like floating i felt like an arbitrary piece of junk like floating around the earth orbiting and just kind of spinning out of control and not really knowing where we were going i mean shipping anything tbc to, i just put it to dart for docks and delivery i'll decide when when it arrives we did just didn't know where we were going to be um and we held it there for a long time um and then we just wanted our own stuff it didn't feel like we were we had, when Rob had come out of hospital and we were in Rob's parents' home, it just felt strange not having any of our belongings with us. So it arrived um, that, and as we were unpacking it, I found a sketchbook and I saw the doodle of moss. <laughs> and you know how I was mentioning before about some weird divine intervention, it felt yeah. like this is an aha moment of like, yes, this, this will be my door. This is what I will do. I had no idea what it was going to look like or how I was going to do it, but I just knew that I had to hold on to the concept of moss and see where it took me. Um, and how, and what did you start with? It was started with candles. Is that right? It did. Yeah. So it took me a really long time to get to that point, but the way that I, I started was 
curating a tumbler um, of an mm. aesthetic sharing our story putting our own pictures there sharing other people's pictures a bit of music creating an aesthetic for a brand um, and it was through that that I decided that it needed to be sensory it needed to align with brain injury recovery so all of our senses so um, obviously olfactory uh, trigger memories so any sense trigger and smells trigger places and time um, mm. tactile touch was important um, storytelling was important and it all came to a head that actually perhaps I can start sharing it through scents so started with a range of scented candles and they tell our story number one was based in Hong Kong where we met Wanda to Mammo Temple number two is Sydney in springtime because that's when life changed for us mm. and number three is uh, based in uh, fields in Lincolnshire because that's where we were to heal and to me, it made perfect sense. It put my experience of product um, into work and also it was sharing our story. And that's something that I was cathartically really wanting to do. Mm -hmm. um, but also one another important thing for me was that it was aesthetically pleasing. So anyone who wanted to tap into the story could, or if they just wanted a nice candle, they could just take it at that level too. It's got the two depths to it. Mm. So... Um, yeah we started with the candles shared them with friends and family and then slowly it's they they bought them at first obviously and then it, they gifted them and then it slowly and gradually organically spread amazing and i'm wondering how important the sort of the creative aspect of it i mean for you in terms of sort of your healing and recovery and sort of beginning to sort of create and put something out into the world again was oh i i needed it um mm. and i feel passionately that creativity heals and creativity means lots of things to different people but whatever your form of expression is whether it be drawing painting coloring singing um even maths maths can be creative mm. uh like whatever it is that you get joy out of and that you can play with then it can be so cathartic um but creativity for us was for me to do to evolve moths um, and for Rob, it was through drawing. So I mentioned before that he lost all power of communication. Um, and I thought, well, if he can't talk, perhaps he can draw. Um, and that opened up his world. So it was literally starting from basics because not only did Rob lose all power of communication, he was like a six foot baby. He had to learn how to swallow, how to chew, how to be in the world again. I had to not only teach him how to hold a pen, but what a pen was. So imagine having to relearn such basic everyday skills. It's been quite an epic journey for him. Um, so yeah, we started off simply. I taught him how to hold a pen and I drew a triangle and a circle and a square. And I said, now you copy. And it, soon started to flow it was a little bit shaky but as as the you know the drawings went on and on his style came back the synapses connected the connections came back and that's opened up a power of communication for him he could express what he wanted and have a conversation through sketching and so i think you know neurologically neurogenesis is the thing that helped rob the fact that not only was he putting pen to paper but that process of being able having to think as well as draw has helped him massively on his healing journey so but you know it doesn't have to be 
as serious as a brain injury for it to impact you but just using your hands and your mind and having that um mindful momentary concentration on something is incredibly healing for sure mm, i completely agree and i first came across both of you through Rob's, um, and I'm jumping ahead now to Froome, but to, with Rob's exhibition at Farmer, a cafe here in Froome, um, where some of his drawings were um, yes. being shown. I mean, that's, that's remarkable that we've, we've been here just under, just under a year and we've managed to get Rob's first exhibition here, which is just wonderful. And it, it's not only like lifted his spirits, but I think it, it's helped other people in when going in for their coffee as well because it's not just a drawing it's no it's a symbol of courage it's a symbol of hope of strength it, it's a talisman of of everything really it it's it's creating something light out of out of darkness because something positive out of something that you know that you've that, that could have destroyed you both yeah absolutely and um we've chosen our, our, our matches that we sell as well our message brand message is choose light because no mm. matter how dark it gets like if you choose to hold on to that slither that will see you through and i'm not being toxic in terms of positivity and that you always have to everything's always great yeah. everything's amazing no embrace the darkness embrace those shadows but just just notice just use that light to keep your focus you can you can be it can be as dark as it gets for you you can acknowledge all of that, but you can still choose to see the light. And that's what we, why we share our story, because it doesn't have to be as catastrophic as what we've been through. Um, and at this point in time, as, as humanity, we're dealing with some mm. serious amounts of grief um, and dealing with, with personal losses. So, you know, I think it's more resonant now than it is, has ever been mm. that we've got this beautiful chance to take stock and recognise what isn't working and perhaps taking a different approach to life and finding meaning in all that yeah and I think you wrote something at the beginning of inst of um, lockdown on your Instagram about how Moss was born out of sort of a period of stillness for you um, mm. when you were living in Lincoln and how that was something that we were sort of all collectively experiencing those sort of first few months of quite intense lockdown yeah I think as a designer, I really love the presence of absence and negative space. But then mm. I didn't really appreciate that those those values um, were ingrained in me until going through this situation. I think, you know, being in the shadows is actually probably where a lot of our personal growth comes. And if we move tenderly and lightly and beautifully through the space, almost like writhing like a snake shedding a skin, we can actually emerge and come out more beautiful and more connected, more honest, more human and find something with meaning in it all. Mm. So I'm sorry, stand by what you just said. I'm just listening and I've, I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> um, so how did you both um, or Oh, well, at the time, well, was about to become all three of you end up in Froome. So as I mentioned briefly before, decisions were made for us. Life did not feel like it was on our terms at all. Mm. Um, and, we, you know, in our 
late, I mean, Rob turned 40 while still living at his parents. I'm a few years behind him. Um, so to be that, at that stage in your life and still feel that you're having to be in somebody else's space was quite, we felt, found it quite oppressive. Um, but then also as like, no disrespect to Lincoln, got a lot of love for Lincoln, but as mm. a city, it was never our choice to be there. Mm. So I, I feel like we needed to move somewhere new for a different energy. And it just so happened that I beautifully and unexpectedly fell pregnant. Um, and that became a catalyst that became the, well, if we're going to have this baby, that's going to tie us to wherever we are. And do we want to be staying in Lincoln? And it's started having, started having those conversations about the future, which we hadn't been able to have before. Um, so it was wonderful to be able to do that. And it was quite a pragmatic process. So we got a map of the UK and we pinned the people that we know and love. Then we pinned the NHS um, university hospitals that can support brain hemorrhage, stroke and epilepsy. Um, because sadly that's what Rob suffers as a side effect from the brain hemorrhage. Okay. Um, so we pinned all of those departments and then we went with our gut feel, like where were the most pins for friends and university hospitals, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it became between near where my parents live in Margate and uh, here where we've got a lot of friends within the surrounding area. Um, mm. And obviously we've got Bristol and Southampton. Um, so yeah, it ended up being a few visits down here, visiting some friends who live in, in North Dorset, um, visiting some friends who live in Froome. And we just thought, do you know what? This feels right. And mm. we ended up, it was a bit of a challenge to find somewhere that suits our needs because obviously we needed a bungalow because of Rob's limited mobility, um, which is quite tricky to come by on the rental market, but we found somewhere. Yeah. And um, here we are, we moved when I was 30 weeks pregnant and then our darling boy arrived. So it's been quite a year. Yeah, it really has to. And I'm guessing that, it, as you say, you had you you had so many choices taken away from you for a period of time, sort of being able to make a positive choice about your future and actively choose somewhere rather than sort of passively going along with it must have it must have felt good to sort of be oh, taking that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been um, it's been the making of us. I mean, we've both got a new lease of life it's given Rob a massive boost in terms of his uh, recovery. He's still making great gains, even though that, you know, they do say that um, stroke patients plateau after a certain period of time, but it will be almost six years. Um, it'll be six years in September. And he's still, you know, finding new words. His, uh, you had a quick chat with him earlier. His speech, is quite, his speech is quite fluid now. Um, there were still lots of challenges cognitively and physically, but from where we were, it's remarkable, even in the, the short period of time that we've been in Froome as well. I noticed because I, I, I had listened to both of you on Sarah Tasker's podcast, Hashtag Authentic. And so I'd heard, and I was surprised at the, at the difference in Rob's speech between, yeah, it's, it was it's, sort of two years ago, I'm guessing. Now. Uh, it is two years ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, I am fiercely proud of him. Um, I, I push, but he steps up. He is determined and mm. driven. And to the point now where actually he, I, I don't even need to push anymore. He's, he's there, he wants it, he's hungry for it. Um, and I think also more so because of our son, he has got someone to live for. Mm. 
And how has lockdown been for you? Because you've been, you said you've been here just, just over a year, I think. And obviously sort of six months of that is, um, has sort of been <laughs> overtaken by. <laughs> well, even, even longer than that, because sadly our son had some uh, health issues when he was very young as well. So we were quite isolated. We didn't really do the mum and baby group thing because mm. of that, because he was quite vulnerable. So we've kind of been locked down for a year that obviously it's got intensified over the last six months with all of the stringent measures that have been happening. Um, it's been a very, very surreal and, and quite stressful um, much like everybody really mm. a myriad of emotions you could be wildly loved being like I'm okay with this and then by the end of the day you're like a hot mess of emotion yeah. it's, a, it's a very strange time but I do feel that our life experiences have actually um, put us in good stead I mean people keep saying we're in the same boat to me we're not in the same boat we're weathering the same storm yeah. our boats are wildly different um, and I feel like our, our boat is sailing along quite nicely in comparison because of everything that we've navigated before. Mm. We're very used to living in a state of grief and anxiety, not to say that that's a, an okay state to be in, but it's something that, that we can manage and carry on regardless of the fact of what's happened. Yeah, I think, I think it's been quite interesting because I think in a way there's... I'm guessing that there were certain your Rob's sort of ability to I mean I and please do correct me if I'm wrong but sort of Rob's ability to sort of be out in the world is is, is limited slightly because of access I'm guessing slight sort of accessibility and it, it, it so he wasn't fully did that sort of have you know you had already oh, no, had experience yeah, that. no absolutely um yeah you touched on something there which I could I could easily talk about I mean when I, I said that we were locked, we were locked down because of myself, we were also locked down because of certain um, complications with, with Rob's accessibility as well, because there are some places that we just can't go to just mm. from a physical point of view. But then also our, our world is very different because of brain injury. We don't go to gigs. We don't go to the cinema. We don't have nights out because um, Rob suffers with neurological fatigue and can't really stay out late in the evening mm. um so our our lives are have very very different they aren't really comparable to to anyone in in a regular socializing way or even just being out in the world and obviously i we i did I work for myself because of that so that I'm able to support Rob's needs so that I can support him going to different appointments or um, if he's having a bad day with um, neurological fatigue where sometimes it gets so bad he can't even get out of bed um, or like on a worst case scenario he suffered a seizure um, so yeah it's it's a, a very a very challenging complex situation mm. And how, how is um, Moss Moments of Sense of Style, how is that evolving? So the pandemic came at brilliant timing of me starting after my maternity break. I just got a studio um, and was starting to do more public speaking and taking on um, more, con more consultancies, more pop-up markets and being essentially more interacting in face-to-face -face with people. Um, and then Good we got me. locked down so it's I've had to really consider what we do and it's it's been one that's been quite a struggle because obviously I've 
had a baby with me and Rob and then not much respite. There's not been anyone who's been able to come in to help me because we've been shielding. Um, and that, that in itself has been very challenging. I haven't had much headspace. Um, but where I have had is um, coming to terms with the fact that, you know, pop-up markets and doing face-to-face -face things aren't going to be happening for a long time. Mm. So what can I focus my energies on? And my consultancy can still run um, remotely. So I'm working on that, but I'm also focusing on my writing. I was part of Paper Nations and Bath Spa University summer cohort for their writing school, um, which has been brilliant. And it's just opening up my world to um, a different way of being and navigating the path of writing, because that's, that's kind of what people are, are following us for. I recognise that, yes, we do sell some wares, but predominantly people are there for my words and wisdom. And I am, I am the product. <laughs> so it's evolving into our platform into more of a, a community space um, for sharing and for workshops. And I definitely need to get that book written as well. I think there's quite a story to be told. I think there is. I think it, I think it's an incredible story, um, and and yeah, it it definitely needs to sort of be shared shared with the world. Thank you. Um, and what sort of next for you as a family? So I presume you're sticking around Froome for the foreseeable. Yeah, no, Froome is definitely home for a while. It'd be mm. nice to to nice to put some roots down because this will be the eighth move that we made in the five years since Bob's brain hemorrhage so I am ready to to stay still mm. <laughs> um, and this has actually been the longest that I've ever stayed still so where I was saying before that my life was always hectic and always on the move I genuinely haven't left Froome apart from to go to uh, the hospital to have a baby and for like appointments and stuff for a year so I've been in this area wow. since we moved um, my it's we are the epitome of slow living right now <laughs> it's um it I, I mean i i, I have it hasn't been quite as just as, as, as that for me but i mean i definitely don't get out of somerset very often at all um foom does something to you it just sort of keeps you in its in its little bubble i think well i think there's a really strong sense of community here and it's it's mm. got a lot to keep you entertained especially when um the independent market was on and things like that there's a real strong sense of community and activity everyone's very engaged in what's happening on their doorstep which is really refreshing it is it's um i have to admit that when sort of lockdown sort of came in i definitely had a moment of thinking actually there's there's nowhere else i would rather be right now and feeling incredibly lucky and please you know i mean not like i made the choice to live here but that I lived in somewhere with such a strong sense of community and um, that, yeah, that it was, it definitely felt like it was the right place for me as well. Mm. Yes, it is beautiful. Yeah. And um, so I ask everyone, um, what, what's been the sort of hardest thing about living life a little differently for you um, in terms of sort of, you know, where, where you are now, I guess. I think overall, um, it has been a grieving process and I do sometimes miss my old life. I won't, mm. you know, I won't deny that. I miss the friendships that came with that because obviously we, um, 
we don't engage in in those rituals of of weddings and Hindus and things as we would have done before more so from the fact that you know we don't necessarily have the expendable cash but then also it's not right for us it's not right for us to stay out all night dancing as much as I, I would love to do that again and I have done in like little snippets but that's not our 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 usual as as it is for a lot of our friends who you know have quite wonderful jobs and lives and full health and have lots of holidays and go out exploring and I think that's been a, a very difficult adjustment for me um personally but when overall I look at what we have I feel really grateful that we've got this second chance at life together um mm. and yes it's different but that's okay and what's the best thing for you the best thing is the fact that I do have the flexibility to work around Rob and now our, our, our boys needs um that is that is fundamentally the the reason I wanted to make this work and make it work for myself was just so that I could still support Rob um, through his ongoing recovery and for us to do something together. Mm. Um, Sarita, thank you so much for talking to me today and sharing yours and Rob's story and um, it's just incredible and I really hope that we, um, we get to meet in person oh, at some point soon. Having, thank you and thank you for having me, it's been lovely speaking to you. like to find out more about Sarita and Rob and perhaps buy one of Rob's beautiful drawings either as an original print or one of their gorgeous scented candles inspired by their journey then you can go to www.momentsofsenseandstyle.com and follow them over on Instagram at Moments of Sense and Style. I'll be back next Monday with another conversation about living life a little differently so please do listen then. In the meantime I would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast and perhaps follow me over on Instagram as well. I'm at F Barrows. If you have any thoughts on this interview or the podcast in general, then please do pop me an email. You can find my address on my website, www.fianabarrows.com. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care.